Make a run to the video store, ready the VCR. We're cinematically dissecting our childhood. It's time for the popcorn effect. Greetings. I'm John. I'm Nikki. And on this episode, we're going to scrutinize who framed Roger Rabbit to see if it was worth the two bits for a shave and a haircut. Nikki, can you give us a box office rundown on the pick this week? This week, we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which released June 22nd, 1988. It was released with a PG rating with a runtime of one hour and 44 minutes. Starring Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, Joanna Cassidy, Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit, and Kathleen Turner, though she is uncredited for playing Jessica Rabbit. Uncredited. See, that's very strange because she's so famously known for that. Right. Apparently she did it as a favor to the director. I don't know why she didn't take credit or didn't want to take credit for the film. A that lot of people weird. do that, and I always wondered why they don't. Why they do that? Like, is there some kind of tax write-off for it or something <laughs> like that? I don't know. Like, do they get paid differently? Or I don't know. Is they, it just under the get... table? Is it seedy? <laughs> Here, they slip you a million dollars. Voice this character for yes. me. Tax-free. Money. Yeah, I don't know what what's up with that, or is it just like, oh, I'm not going to be on the payroll, so I'm not going to count towards the budget. So maybe it was unpaid. That sucks for her. Well, yeah. I don't know. Like, why do people do that? Why do people go uncredited? Like, there are big name actors that go uncredited for certain roles. Well, especially when most actors are like crazy narcissists, so you would yeah. think they want their name on that project. Well, I think so we're going to just go with shady dealing. That's that's right. Okay. We're going to just assign it that intent. Okay, so, and who intended those shady dealings was director Robert Zemeckis. Yes. So if you're not familiar with Robert Zemeckis, he also wrote and directed Back to the Future, directed Forrest Gump, and produced Contact. Okay, so Robert Zemeckis got $50.6 million dollars to make this film. There was a discrepancy when I was trying to look up the budgets for this film. One said it was $70 million. And then the other website I usually look this stuff up on said it was $50.6 million. When I kind of looked up where the discrepancy was coming in, it was something about the New York Times had originally reported that this movie was made for $70 million. And the movie company made them print a retraction that it was only $50 million. Now, we hmm. were just discussing some lowbrow, shady shit yeah. with Kathleen Turner getting paid for this film. So maybe that's... <laughs> that's the missing $20 million. That's the missing $20 million. They're like, yes, yes, it did cost $70 million, but no, 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 we don't talk about that extra 20 Yes. yes. <laughs> so it's actually just 50 Just shh, it's 50 That's right. <laughs> conspiracy let's start a conspiracy there was i found a discrepancy between the two sites that i normally use to get box office information on how much this movie actually grossed and it was a hundred million dollar discrepancy so Mm. i went with 
the higher of the two simply because that seemed like I could find more information to back up those numbers than I could the other numbers. So if this is incorrect, I'm sure everybody will let us know. Tell me what a dumb dumb I am. This was the information I could find at the time. So the movie was made for $50 million, not 70 New York Times. (laughs) Domestic box office totals were $156 million. International was 173 million for a grand total of 329 million. Not bad, not bad. But I have a little funny <laughs> nugget with the box office sales that I love because this is so silly, and I I love to know the circumstances behind this. So <laughs> this movie had a re-release in 2021 mm-hmm. in New Zealand really? only. <laughs> in New Zealand only, and it grossed 725 dollars. What? <laughs> So why New Zealand? I have to think maybe it was like an anniversary or one theater did some huge Who Framed Roger Rabbit party or something. I don't know. Just New Zealand, huh? Maybe some kind of charity benefit thing. I'm not sure, but that, that number cracked me up, so I had to, I had to add it in. Nice. Opening sales for this movie were $11 million. It peaked at number one. It was a huge hit right out of the gate. Well, yeah, I do remember that. So interestingly, I did find other movies that were in the theater at the same time, but I couldn't find anything else that opened that weekend. And I don't know if that was by design because they were expecting this to be a huge movie. So everybody else was like, please don't open me against Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I don't know. So the other movies in the theater that weekend that were already in the middle of their run were Big, The Great Outdoors, Red Heat, Crocodile Dundee, Bull Durham, Big Business, Willow, and Funny Farm. Mm. Okay, so critics' reviews. Now, this movie, even though it was pretty widely acclaimed, I did manage to find some not-so-nice reviews. (laughs) Well, I could see how it could be a bit of a divisive movie. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah, a little bit. Our first critic review, I'm not sure if this is the same review that mentioned that this movie was made for $70 million or if it's a different article altogether, but... This is from the New York Times, a film whose best moments are so novel, so deliriously funny, and so crazily unexpected that they truly must be seen to be believed. Wow, that's quite lavish praise. Rita Kempley from the Washington Post said, Roger Rabbit is cartoon noir, an antique mystery, an instant slapstick classic from Disney and Steven Spielberg. Already, it's a hair's breadth away from legend. So those were our good reviews. Yes. The two crappy ones... Stanley Kaufman from The New Republic said the plot, the gags, the action are so stupid and strident and so unfunnily parodic that the film's only interest is in wondering how they did it in the mix of animation and live action. So not a horrible review. I mean, it still gives props where props are due. Yeah. But then there's TV Guide. So this is an unaccredited <laughs> review, so I don't know who wrote this. Uh, well, flawlessly delivered, it's overkill. So loud and excessive, it makes our head swim. It's like a little sumptuous banquet composed entirely of fast food. Fills you up, but it's entirely forgettable. Wow. I don't know who it's pretty harsh. has their panties in a bunch over at TV Guide. But... I think just working for TV Guide <laughs> means that you have bunched panties. Is TV Guide even a thing anymore? I don't think so. I mean, It shouldn't be. Why would it be? I have no idea. But really, who cares in the grand scheme of things? <laughs> right. Very few people. So those are our critics' ratings. Okay. Well, bit of a mixed bag there. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like I said, though, like it was maybe a handful of bad critics reviews I could find. Most of them were like 
thumbs up, five stars, an achievement. And I recall at the time when it first came out, people were just like lavishing praise upon it as well. All right. Childhood experiences with this movie. Okay. Came out in 88. You were eight. I was nine. Where did you first see this movie? I saw it in a movie theater. You did? Yes. And it was was great. So what were your general feelings when you saw it at eight? I liked it instantly, but I also kind of recognized even being eight, (laughs) like I realized there was stuff that was like way over my head. That didn't even really matter to me. And I kind of knew what they were talking about. So what were your first experience with this? You know, I saw this in the theater as well. I liked this movie when I was a kid, but also, oddly, I found it kind of boring. Boring? Yeah. I think it was because there were adult themes to this movie. Oh. That it kind of didn't hold my interest in the way that... I don't know. I don't want to say that I expected it to because I feel like that's adult me talking, not kid me. But you know what I mean? Like, at times, I found it kind of slow and boring. Really? Like, I didn't really care about the adult characters. Yeah, and you know, when you're that young, a lot of movies kind of were that way. Not a whole lot would hold your attention at that age. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of attention, we're re-examining this film, and that means spoilers. So if you haven't seen it already, this is your warning. But if you have, grab yourself a scotch on the rocks, a stogie, and let's discuss who framed Roger Rabbit. So first I'll give a little synopsis. A tune-hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he's accused of murder. It's not an overly deep (laughs) plot. (laughs) It's pretty basic, yeah. It is. But the plot was not where this movie was meant to shine. Oh, no. All right, let's discuss characters here a little bit. Okay. We have our main live-action character, if you will. Eddie Valiant, he is, I have him written down as just a drunk P.I. <laughs> yep, he is a very typical drunk P.I. <laughs> and he's got like a very good noir quality to him. Yes. He had lost his brother to a tune. Yeah, the tune dropped a piano on Theodore Valiant's head. If you gotta go, that's the way to do it. I was gonna say, that's gonna. I would assume that's gonna be a quick death. Yeah. The question being, though, was it a player piano? Was it a grand piano? Was it a toy piano? Yes. Just saying, that's all very different levels of death. I'll bet it was a grand piano, because they're always grand pianos. That's true. In cartoons, they are always grand pianos. And I'll bet he came out, and his teeth were keys. And then he <laughs> then he just choked on his own blood. Wow. That <laughs> went dark. God. See, Roger Rabbit, you could do it, like, really bad, really dark. You could really easily make it an R-rated yeah. movie. But Eddie Valiant, yeah, he's he's very motivated by his brother's death. That's kind of his arc. I don't, I wouldn't even say motivated by. And he, well, he's, he's lost his joy in life. Our animated protagonist here is, of course, Roger Rabbit, who I have written down as, who's being framed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very literal translation. Well, I go. mean, that's that's what his character is. Yes. So Roger Rabbit is kind of like your Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse type character from Maroon Cartoons. He seems like the flagship kind of. That the studio is built upon him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But as far as like character wise, I feel like Roger's dumber than Mickey. Well, and... yes, obviously. Yeah. He's kind of like. I wouldn't the... even say dumb. Just kind of innocent and naive. Yeah. And then we have Jessica Rabbit. Yep. Also animated, who yes. is Roger's Generously Baba animated. Voom 
wife. Yes, very generously animated Jessica Rabbit. Yes. So she is a tune. Does she star in pictures or is she just like a cabaret singer? I think she's just a cabaret singer. Okay. I never really gave that much thought until just now. Like, what do, is that... She's just a singer. She's not necessarily a movie star. I don't think the uh, writers gave it that much thought either. Well, probably not, but I'm thinking about it now. Probably a movie star for some, like, I'm guessing she's the attractive cartoon character that they had in some cartoons. She's the Megan Fox of the cartoon world. Yeah, basically. She's just there for eye candy. Yeah. Uh, Dolores, who is Eddie Valiant's... Squeeze, kind of. That's a good word for it. I like that. That's very 1940s. It's a, his main squeeze. His main squeeze. His broad. His broad. His toots. His old lady. Dolores is, you know, a hard worker. She works at the bar, and she's just always putting up with Eddie and his alcoholism. But also, I feel like there's a certain level of understanding from her end. Oh, absolutely. Not in a abusive relationship kind of way she understands like this is his grief and yeah. not who he is as a person yeah i wrote her down as a stand by your man kind of broad most definitely <laughs> yes <laughs> most definitely because he drinks like a fish <laughs> yeah <laughs> then we have baby herman also yep. animated i have him as a literal man child yeah stogie smoking baby yep is he supposed to be just an old man who looks like a baby? <laughs> if you go back to the line that Jessica Rabbit has is, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way, then the flip would have to be true for baby Herman, right? That he's not a baby, he's just drawn that way. I never thought of it that way, but yes. He's I mean, just drawn like a baby, but he's a he's a curmudgeonly old right? pervert. Yeah. As we all are, in some way. Sure. Yes. If you say so. Marvin Acme, who is a wacky rich man who also owns Toontown. Toontown is basically right next to L.A.? I think so. That's that's kind of of how how they they have it it set up, that it's like there's Hollywood, and then Hollywood goes into Toontown. Yes. Yeah, Marvin Acme, he's got a patty cake cake. Yeah, he's got... (laughs) (laughs) No judging. I'm not kink shaming here. Hey. To each their own. I knew somebody who had a London Bridges fetish. Oh, my God. It was crazy. We all fell down. Oh. <laughs> I'm not even. Nope. You're not going to cross that bridge? <laughs> You're so punny. Yes. So, yeah, Marvin Acme, just a kinky dude who likes his patty cake. Yep. He's got disappearing comes up blackmail. He's always struck me as a guy who wants to be a magic shop owner. Like, yeah. He's just got that, I don't know, that energy about him. The creep energy. No, not necessarily creepy. Just that guy who, I mean, I'm sure you went into a magic shop when you were a kid. Like, the guy who owns the place, who's, like, standing in the middle of the place doing card tricks and showing the kids, like, the buzzers and, you know what I mean? Oh, you mean a pedophile? (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're saying. <laughs> Moving on. He's got it. Well, he, it's kind of that vibe. It's like that Michael Jackson type. Oh no, that's the vibe you got off Marvin Acme. It's no, it's Michael just the Jackson it's pedophile? the vibe you get out of magic shop owners. Oh, okay. You've been Maybe to I've very been to- different <laughs> magic shops than I have. <laughs> now I've never. <laughs> That could make for some interesting tricks. The anchor chips just kept coming out. Oh, God. 
<laughs> okay. Pedophiles aside, R.K. Maroon. Yes. He's a tycoon dude. He is, but they didn't write him as like a super scummy. He, yeah, you're right. He's not the villain like most tycoons are. Right. He's just kind of a guy who makes movies. Because he didn't need to be. We have Judge no. Doom for that. Yeah. We didn't need like that secondary villain. No, the story. it didn't it try totally to bog it down too much, which was good. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have Judge Doom. Yes. Who is our ultimate cartoon villain. Yep. Played by Christopher Lloyd, oh, who's just awesome. He's so good, too. Yeah. He's he, awesome. This character could easily, I feel like, be over the top. Mm-hmm. But he has the right sense of malice and menace to him. He does. He really does. It's done really well. Yeah. Is he an elected judge? <laughs> well, clearly, once, they didn't check too much. Was he a lawyer and became a judge? Did he just decide he was judge of Two-Town? We needed more backstory on Yeah, we should have. We should have seen him, you know, with, what's what would you say, judge school? No. <laughs> you would go law to law school? school. Yeah. Yeah, but once oh, you go... Oh, brother's going to be upset with you. <laughs> I guess judge there is no judge school. school. So he went to a law school. So he must have been a lawyer for a while. He must have been lawyer doom, which must be <laughs> pretty intimidating for a lot of a lot of either defense or. Can you imagine having that guy? Prosecution attorneys. No, no, no. That guy most definitely was defending criminals. Uh, most. De- well, I don't know. He could be like, you know, oh, here comes judge doom to give me the death sentence. You mean lawyer doom. Yeah. He would have been Lawyer, lawyer Doom, Doom at that point. Here comes Lawyer Doom to Because give me the when he license. became Judge Doom, he just kind of eliminated the jury and just started handing out sentences without any trial. So yeah, he kind of started wearing black. He was kind of like Judge Dredd. I haven't seen that movie, so that means nothing to well, me. It's a comic book more than anything. Again? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good anyway. movie. Good movie, comic, whatever. Anyway. Just not the Stallone version. That sucks. Anyway. So then we've got the various cartoons. The various tunes, you mean? The various tunes. They, they go by tunes. We got Mickey and his whole crew, and then we got Bugs and his whole crew. But they're largely sidelined. They're just like cameos. Yeah, they really have no bearing on the plot or the story whatsoever. That's another thing that I think if it was made today, it would be different. They would they would include like Mickey. It would be like the search for Mickey. Bugs is going to help. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that, that if this were made today, Disney, Warner Brothers, any of those other cartoon studios would be like, we'll we'll give you the copyrights for it, but yeah, he's got to be a main player in the story, like Eddie Valiant's partner or something ridiculous. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's how they got away with making this movie with all those characters in it, is that because each studio's intellectual property was only on screen for like, brief moments of time i don't know i mean would that have any bearing on it you know time spent i don't know i would imagine that if they gave the rights they'd want them to like utilize it you know maybe maybe it was conditional i don't know Hmm. i'm just thinking like you know with actors and stuff you get paid more if you have a speaking role versus just being a background extra yeah so I'm just wondering if that's the same. Why are you smiling at me like I'm crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely cartoons. Answer my Speaking question. Role. <laughs> <laughs> definitely cartoons would be paid more for a speaking role because then you'd have to hire someone to do their voice. <laughs> that's not what I meant. 
Uh, yeah, they make they make <laughs> they make more money if the more they move too, and if they're in color, if they're in color, they make that makes fat dough. Black and white tunes don't make shit no more. And uh-huh. Betty Boop selling cigarettes. Like, oh, it's so sad. But I was also thinking, just hold on, Betty, because the '80s are gonna roll around, and your merchandising is gonna go through the fucking roof, girl. <laughs> That's right. Hopefully she had some back-end royalties oh, I'm sure on she that did. stuff or something. Oh, poor Betty. Anyway. <laughs> it wasn't surprising at the time just because I was eight and I didn't really think about that type of stuff. But really looking back on it, the fact that they had like Mickey and Bugs like together. I wrote down the same thing that it's so strange that so many movie studios gave them the rights to their characters. Yeah, because there were cartoons from everywhere. There was I Warner Brothers, there was Disney. Disney. If Who Framed Roger Rabbit were to be made now, I don't see that happening. Oh, no. And this is just completely my opinion, but I think they would have to make up Mickey-adjacent characters. Do you yes. know what I mean? That it would be... They're not Mickey Mouse, but you know who knock-offs. they're supposed to be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Be They'd knock-off. be knockoff characters. Because... Yeah. You know, copyrights. Right. And <laughs> that's, Especially Disney. You know? And that's what's so weird about that, too, is the fact that, like, if you look at how insanely popular this movie is, how well it did, the fact of how many awards it won, how well it did at the box office, it's a shame that movie studios have gotten so greedy that they wouldn't be willing to share for the better good of a whole picture that they could oh, all yeah. benefit from. Oh, Yeah. So characters aside, you know, the acting, you know, this is this is a challenging type of situation. Indeed. I believe that the acting, just just the everyday acting that would normally happen in any movie was was hammy yet appropriate because it's yeah. that type of movie. It is that type of movie. Plus, there was a whole lot of physical acting. They had to like, I mean, there were times where I was watching this thinking, if this cartoon's gone, this looks like an insane scene to shoot. <laughs> I and thought the same thing. They're literally acting against nothing. Nothing. Thin air. Nothing, nothing. At all. I didn't see many errors in this. I think the one thing I did notice with this is the actor's eyeline wasn't matching up with the tune. So they weren't, yeah, because, and I think that was just, they weren't using mocap. Yeah, I think that's just the nature of the technology they had available at the time, that that was just going to be a thing. I went into this, this time, kind of expecting the acting to be sad oh yeah <laughs> you, know you kind I mean? of like, expect it to be, to be like corny or cheesy or what and that was absolutely not the case see i don't know to me it seems like that would be kind of fun as an actor i think that would be challenging it's like using your imagination you know i guess in the theme of them acting against nothing mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on the directing and visuals of this film well like the melding of animation and just live action really just kind of colors everything yeah I think it was very well done. I mean, this has a Robert Zemeckis stamp on it. Yeah. I mean, he made something that was completely its own thing. Well, and that is one thing that I did notice. I think the last time I watched this movie, I was probably in middle school. Really? Yeah. It's probably been about that for me, too. It's been many, many moons. I did notice watching this time around that you can tell this is definitely the early versions of blue or green screen because there is that really distinct white outline around Mm -hmm. all the live action people and items in the scenes. And I may be wrong about this, but I think that's because it was blue screen. I think that was the issue with blue screen. Yeah. And and that was one of the issues that you kind of get with that blue screen is that those little tracers. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I noticed that too. But it was it was very very slight. But it seemed seamless back then. I think because we didn't know to look for those little markers. No, you no. know what I mean. We've not been conditioned to be as cynical and nitpicky. Yeah. Even that said, even though you have that white glow, I don't think it was super bad. I mean, I've seen newer green screen movies that were yeah. look worse than this that were made a year ago. Yeah. So it was definitely ahead of its time. I know that a lot of this acting against green screen and acting against CGI stuff largely looked down upon, but... I think nowadays it's so commonplace. So few movies don't have green screen of some sort. Yeah. But also, like, back then, that just wasn't done. And it's so weird how we flipped from that, too, where it was... Everything was done practically, and then the green screen stuff was so rare, but everybody got so excited about it. And now it's the exact opposite, where green screen is so commonplace with movies that everybody's like, I'm going to do things practical and be a hipster about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's totally what they say, too. They totally say that. Exactly what they say. Like Jim Henson, total hipster. <laughs> They're going to drink their homebrew IPA and do practical things. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm not coming down on people who are going back to practical effects because I definitely feel there is a good need for them. Yeah. Yeah. That does bring us to the plot of this film. Yeah. Uh, This movie, that is one thing I can say. There was a lot of stuff in here that I was like, oh, that would not fly today. (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember it being that adult. Really? Now I'm seeing this like, this is not a children's movie. Oh, no. But back then we're like, (laughs) yeah, of course. It's cartoons. It's a kid's movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't you know, remember. I'm I'm okay with that though. I think I think kids can handle that type of stuff. They I really don't, can. I, mm, I don't know the patty cake thing. That's <laughs> well, the patty cake scene alone. You know, it's like you ha- you hear Jessica Rabbit basically making sex sounds, like orgasm yeah. noises. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention her boobs oh, are yeah. re- a really prominent joke. Yeah. Now, how I remembered Jessica Rabbit was I remembered her being very voluptuous, but I don't remember her being as, like, Barbie thin doll. Thin-waisted yeah. as she really is. More hourglassy. <laughs> yeah. More hourglassy. Yeah. But it's just button boobs. Yeah. I don't know. I, I bet probably out there on the internet somewhere there's something of uh, what her proportions would be if she was a human being. I'll oh, bet. Yeah. I didn't even think to look that up, but I'll bet that exists somewhere. Probably. This is another one of those sexual innuendo jokes that was like, <laughs> it's inappropriate for a kid's movie. Which one? I didn't, I didn't hear or I didn't notice. Baby Herman has a nanny. Yeah. And I used that like as air quotes you can tell she's just there's eye candy and uh he makes a comment to eddie about how he has a 50 year old's lust and a three-year-old's dinky (laughs) (laughs) really but like (laughs) that's what i'm saying there are jokes like that where i'm like oh no 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 that would not fly today in a kid's show no way and he's smoking yeah He's oh, smoking there's so a much smoking. Yeah. And like one of the weasels smoked. I'm surprised it got a PG. One thing I noticed about, um, there's a lot of things w- with the plot in mm-hmm. general where they would just set up something. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, it was just nothing but payoff, 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 payoff right. to things that were set up previously. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. We've talked about this before that I am nitpicky as shit and I will sniff out those little inconsistencies that make me crazy. I only found one and it was really small. (laughs) Now, is this the type of nitpick that can be fixed by just willful suspension of disbelief? No, because I think this is actually like a 
like a pinprick of a plot hole. Oh, okay. And it, I think it could have been. So what's the I, plot hole? It's pivotal for some of the characters, and I'm not sure that there's a workaround for it. Okay. So it might be just one of those plot holes you just have to kind of be okay with. Okay. I forget exactly what scene it was introduced, but kind of near the beginning of the movie, the weasels are laughing. And the main head weasel guy, I don't I don't know what the weasels names are, or what their individual names are, but the main yeah. the main weasel mm-hmm. kind of is smacking them and tell them to stop laughing, you'll laugh yourself to death. Mm-hmm. But and he that, said it happened to our cousins. Yes. The hyenas. The hyenas. Yes. It's kind of a throwaway line, but it comes into play later because as Doom's getting ready to hose down Jessica and Roger with Depp and getting ready to enact his evil plan of melting down Toontown or whatever, Eddie realizes that he can make the weasels laugh themselves to death. So here's the tiny plot hole. Okay. Is that Doom, when he's first introduced and he's introducing the dip. He said, we always believed there was no way to kill a tune while I've created something. Insinuating the dip is the only way to kill a tune. Yes. This scene proves otherwise, and the scene in the bar proved otherwise, because tunes can laugh Laugh themselves themselves to to death. death. Yes. So see what I mean? It's a tiny, tiny little plot hole. And I don't see a way around it because of how the weasels had to die. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Kind of a bit of a get out of jail free card. But. Yeah. And and like I said, it's not one that ruins the movie or oh. I think is even like insulting to the viewer's intelligence. So like I said, it was a minuscule plot hole. Yeah. I'll give you not that. Not enough that I would like even complain about it. It's just an observation. Okay. That's all. Not bad. But then Doom reveals his ultimate evil plan. He has to go through his monologue. Mm-hmm. Of why he's gonna destroy things, which I knew this was his plan, but rewatching this as an adult and knowing what we know now of Hollywood and the LA area, this held so much more significance. It was so much funnier <laughs> than I think these filmmakers could even have anticipated in 1988. No, I think they knew what they were saying. I think. Doom's evil plan is to destroy Toontown using dip, spray the whole thing down with dip and basically melt the whole place down and build an eight lane freeway with billboards as far as the eye can see and gas stations and cheap motels and food that you can get quickly and traffic jams will be a thing of the past. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically counting on his his evil plan is capitalism. (laughs) Exactly it's I it's murder down. followed by capitalism, which I is usually down, where capitalism comes from. I wrote down Doom is a capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty wild as far as evil plans are concerned. Now, why we couldn't? I never assumed Toontown was a large town. No, it seemed like a small place, like a little burb. Yeah, of Hollywood. Yeah. Why couldn't the freeway go around Toontown? <laughs> Because it's not evil that way. I can't imagine Two Towns more than a couple miles wide. It's got to be evil. I that's guess. Why. Yeah, that's that's pretty. <laughs> because much it. evil. So. <laughs> so I I really liked this movie. I think it. I liked it when I was a kid, but I liked it more as an adult. And I think it's just because I can appreciate all the work that went into it. I would agree with that. I appreciate this movie on a different level. In that watching it as an adult gave me. A very different feeling than it did as a kid. I expected to go into it this time around, walking away from it being like, this was cheesy, and how did I watch this as a kid? Oh, you really were? Yeah. Oh. I didn't, though. 
I walked away from this with a, a realization that this movie is a lot darker than I thought it was. Oh yeah, well, it's not it's... as corny as I as I remembered it being. Really? Yeah. See, that's that's strange because I remember when I was a kid, I remember at first thinking, you know, that there were some things that were going over my head, but I remember just thinking how adult it was at that time. Yeah. And it didn't seem cheesy or any of that stuff to me. So it's, I think we just had different different experiences there. I guess. Um, so what would you give this movie your childhood rating versus today? My childhood rating, I would say like a three out of five. Okay. And uh, then today's rating? Mm-hmm. I would say probably five out of five. This is one of the classics, I think. And this is, this is, there's nothing else like it. It's kind of like a time capsule. So what about you? What would you rate it out of five stars when you were a kid? I think three, three? I think was fair. Okay. Today, I think I would still give it a four stars. I don't think I would go as much as five. Okay. That's not to say I wouldn't watch this again because I absolutely would. Oh yeah, it's a fun movie. It was entertaining. But four out of five stars as a kid and four out of five stars as an adult but for different reasons okay i got that so what would be the best place that you would watch this again like the best setting <laughs> real honestly i think one of two things for re-watching this movie one it would be one that i would put on just as like a background movie while i'm doing other things yeah two i think it would be <laughs> kind of fun to smoke a de weed <laughs> And watch this movie. <laughs> I think it could be a really funny, chill out, high movie to watch. Yeah, most definitely. Just because it's it is kind of weird. <laughs> it is very weird. Yes. So, so yeah, I could see how that might be a fun time, especially if you're with your friends. You know. Oh God, yes. In the hopefully after COVID times yeah. when that can be a thing again, <laughs> I, I think that would be fun. Uh, how about you? What do you think would be ideal rewatching? It's fun to watch this with somebody you can talk to afterwards. You yeah, know, some somebody who can you can discuss the movie with. You afterwards. can appreciate it with. Mostly from just like a technical standpoint, I think. Yeah. I'm just looking at this as the technical feat that it was. It is a symbol of its time. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, that concludes our dissection of. Blue Frame Roger Rabbit. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to hear more, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to the show and tune in next time. Meanwhile, you can check us out on Twitter where we are at The Popcorn Effect. We also have a website, www.thepopcorneffectpodcast.com. Or if you'd like to get in touch with us or send us your movie recommendations, drop us a line at thepopcorneffectpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time. That's all, folks.